our discussion to another uh, angle. You guys are both here as preachers or expository preachers. I wanted mm -hmm. to ask maybe a couple questions here, even just one big question about expository preaching. I'll start with Paul. Paul, you preached an Old Testament passage about uh, Jacob and Esau, right. really about Jacob wrestling uh, the man in uh, Genesis 32. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you said was really interesting to me. You said that uh, Jacob, in this event, got a new name, Israel, and a new nature, a limp. And then you applied that to the to believers today, saying yeah. that we have a new name, assuming Christian, right. and a new nature, I'm assuming regeneration. Right. Uh, you're preaching the Old Testament as Christian scripture. How can you do that as an expository preacher without falling into the pitfall of doing this kind of uh, unrestrained allegory? How do you preach the Old Testament as Christian scripture faithfully? Well, <clears throat> I think the first thing to remember is, is when we say the scriptures, we're talking about the whole Bible as Christian scripture. And there's only one author, ultimately, of the Bible, and that's the Holy Spirit. And so God speaks with a single voice. Sometimes Christians make far too much of the, you know, out of these differences. Certainly there are differences when we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, of course. There's discontinuity. Uh, but there is also considerable, uh, almost overwhelming continuity. And specifically, uh, there is continuity with respect to God. You know, it's not like God becomes a Christian when you move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That's, God is God. He does not change. And human nature doesn't change. People are people. And, and therefore, these stories in the Old Testament can be you know, wonderfully helpful for people in all uh, eras. Calvin said we read the Bible fundamentally to learn <clears throat> about God and about ourselves. And, and those things don't change. Those things are, are constant. But then even beyond that, uh, I think there's the fact that in the New Testament, the New Testament regularly points to the Old Testament as providing these paradigmatic stories. These stories that, that put out for us the general outline and character of a person's walk with God. And, and so again, we're, we're on safe ground here. I mean, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 says, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So he's talking about that generation of the patriarchs and, and the generation of the Exodus. And he's saying all these things, these things were written down for us. And then he goes on later in the same chapter to say, those on whom the end of the ages has come. So these stories, the reasons they're preserved is because they're useful for us. Now, evangelicals are famous for overreacting. And one of the things we've overreacted to, I think, is uh, the Roman Catholic excess in the area of allegory. And, and I think a large part of the burden of the Protestant Reformation was to rescue preaching from, you know, excessive allegorization. Um, but the abuse of a thing is not the negation of a thing. There, there are allegories in the Bible. I mean, Paul talks about the allegory of, you know, Abraham and, and uh, Hagar and Sarah. So there are allegories. And then there is a ton of typology. I mean, in the New Testament, in multiple places, we're told these things are a type of the thing to come. And, and so I think there are patterns. I think that we are intended to read these stories to learn big truths about God, about men, and about how God brings men into relationship with himself. So these typologies you talked about might be like yeah. the, the garden and then the temple and then sure. Jesus the temple, whatever it is. Are, are these authorial intended uh, typologies in scripture or how does that work? Is this something you just kind of see later in life and kind of make it up? Or do the authors actually intend <laughs> these typologies to, to actually... Well, prepare? yeah, again, I, I guess I would... So if you're asking the question, did Moses know that I'd be preaching at a men's ministry uh, <laughs> event, you know, in October uh, and, and using the story of, of Jacob to, to talk about seeing God in our, in our struggles as men? And the answer to that, I think, is, is no. Uh, 
Um, but I would say behind the authorial intent of Moses is the authorial intent of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. And, you know, so if you're asking the question, does God know that men need help to think wisely and clearly about the nature of God, the nature of themselves as men, and the nature of sin and redemption and salvation and sanctification, then the answer is, is yes. Um, and and I, I do think that, you know, the, the New Testament talks about how the Old Testament prophets were, were peering in, wondering, you know, what's this all about and how's it all going to end? And, and, and they were writing things, the New Testament says, for our benefit, Peter says that. So, you know, I, I think we're on excellent, safe ground when we, we talk about how these stories are intended to teach us about these big fundamentals of the faith. Peter, uh, talking about preaching the Old Testament, uh, is it appropriate for you, you're preaching to a, a group of men and they're struggling with sexual sin, and you say, uh, Joseph fled from Potiphar's wife, Therefore, you should flee from sexual immorality. Is, is that the right way to preach that passage? Or what does that look like? Or can, or can you do it? Right. Yeah, I'm not a preaching expert. I've, I've been on the ministry only for a little while. But I think, as, as Paul just mentioned, you know, he shared from uh, 1 Corinthians about how these stories are examples for us. Um, and so when I, when I come to a text like Joseph, I mean, the main thrust of the story of Joseph is not about Joseph. It's about God. And, and so in our preaching, it needs to be about God. And we, you see God's providence in that story, right? I mean, what, what his brothers meant for evil, God meant for good. But at the same time, these are people who have the similar experiences that we have as humans. And mm -hmm. we can take their life experiences mm -hmm. and I think call Christians to live in light of some of these examples. I mean, we look at the New Testament and Paul says, follow my example. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right? Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I look at the Old Testament... And I see a man like Joseph, I want to tell people, be like Joseph and don't be like David when it comes to sexual morality. Yeah. And, and if, if someone you know, harps about that, I, I think they're, they're missing the point of what the scripture... Well, again, you know, evangelicals are famous for overreacting, right? Mm. So we just had 20 years of highly moralistic sermonizing. Mm. Uh, that we're now overreacting right. to, right? So every sermon was dare to be a Daniel or, you know, <laughs> be like David and slay your giant. Go find your five little stones. And and, and so we, we missed the Christological implications mm -hmm. of a lot of stuff in the Old Testament. Um, and, and so now we're, I think, overreacting to that. And we're saying the only value in these Old Testament texts is how they point to Christ. Mm. And I think that's just an oversimplification. It's an overreaction. The ultimate value of these texts is how they point to Christ. Mm -hmm. But then why does Paul say these things were written as examples for us, for our instruction, he says in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 10, on whom the end of the ages has come. Mm -hmm. Why would he say that if there were not also moral implications to these stories? Mm -hmm. Christians need to do more than believe right. They need to live right. In fact, I think it could be fair to say that right now evangelicalism is plagued with right-believing, wrong-living people. And, and there needs to be both, right? There's a reason there's a therefore hinge in Paul's Romans. Mm. It's not just a theological treatise. At Romans 12, you get your famous therefore hinge, right? Therefore, in view of God's mercy, let's take a look at how God has saved us absolutely through Christ. Let's spend 11 chapters on that. But now let's spend from 12.1 through 15.7 talking about the implications of that for how you live with your brothers and sisters. Mm. Having sat through uh, many sermons in my life and just experiences, it seems to me that many Christian ministers, Christian preachers, feel very comfortable uh, preaching from the 
Paul's letters. Right. Sure. But very few people seem to be very comfortable preaching from the narratives or the yeah. poetry in the Old Testament. Or the apocalyptic. Or the apocalyptic yeah. kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So what, what would you say to someone who, who's maybe a little bit nervous about preaching these Old Testament texts and they want to preach Christ, but they don't know how to do it from Song of Songs, for example? Yeah. Well, what, is, what would you say to someone uh, just to encourage them to preach the whole counsel of God, including the Old and New Testaments? Well, if I were feeling cheeky and brief, I'd just say read Goldsworthy. Uh, but if I if I wanted to be longer than that, I, I would say, um, you know, Luther said that we should be looking for, you know, Christ at the center of all the scriptures, Christ in all the scriptures. And yeah, I think that's our, our job. You know, Jesus said in Luke 24 that this the scriptures are about him. All of them are about him. Uh, he even mentioned the Psalms. The Psalms are ultimately about about Jesus. And, and so I, I think part of it begins in the devotional life. Um, when, you, when you're reading the Old Testament, when you're reading through the Bible devotionally, you ought to be, one of the questions you ought to be asking is, how does this point me to Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're doing your own Bible reading that way, if you're thinking devotionally that way, then I, I think it will come out in your preaching. It'll certainly help prepare for your preaching. One of the other things I would say is listen to people who do it well. You know, there are... There are lots of preachers out there who do this very well. Avoid those who are simplistic and, um, you know, moralistic. And, but, but look for those who do a good job of preaching the Old Testament on its merits. This is what it originally meant. But then also taking that next step and saying, you know, here's how this points us to our need for Christ. Here's, here's how this is lived out in the Christian life. I think there are lots of folks out there uh, who do that very well. And I'd say find a couple and listen to a bunch so that you can broaden out your preaching. Thank you.